Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun Men About, about it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on iTunes, Stitcher, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Mary, what are you fermenting right now? <laughs> well, funny that you should ask that, Chris. <laughs> so as some of you know that have been listening for a while, I have a new book out called Speed Brewing, which is all small batch, um, although easily scale- scalable up, um, fast fermented alcoholic beverages from beers to ciders to short meads to far-flung ferments like Finnish Sema. Um, so I'm kind of... Promoting the book and also giving talks, so I'm trying to keep as much fermented stuff around as possible right now because we have a couple things, club meetings that I'll be, homebrew club meetings that I'll be talking at, as well as just you know anything that comes up. Yeah, where's the next talk you're doing? So this Wednesday, Chris and I will be <laughs> speaking at the Malted Barley Appreciation Society in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, at Mugs Ale House. So if you are in New York City or somewhere nearby and you want to come by, it starts at seven thirty. Seven thirty p.m. in the back of Mugs. Yep. With good weather, we'll be outside. And we will be we'll be pouring a growler of our Revenge of the Emu and talking about Cousette libations, mm-hmm. as well as the book. And I'll be pouring several things from the book as well. And this is the second time you've talked at a homebrew meeting. What yes. was the last homebrew meeting that <laughs> so, you did? Well, we'll give a huge shout out to Libme, which is the Long Island malt and beer enthusiasts. Malt beer and malt enthusiasts. Libme. Libme. Yes. yes. I can't talk and think at the same time the Todd tonight. Todd who just spent a great weekend with uh, Grateful Dead. We hope <laughs> you had fun. But uh, so I spoke. That was my first talk last Wednesday, and I got to give them a huge shout out. They actually um, met at Eat Gastro Pub, which is a cool little restaurant with a great draft list, good food in Oceanside, uh, Long Island. So Chris and I drove out there, and I was really impressed. It's a very well-run club. They had, sold, had raffle and a auction to raise money for charity at the beginning as well as they have a solid education program and just a lot of interest and enthusiasm so we brought three three gallon kegs of three different beverages none of which were beer and it was we kicked almost all all the beer and it was really well received it was exciting Absolutely. i'm not sure i wasn't sure like how homebrewers that have never uh that don't know me and really are into brewing beer would would take these other beverages but they were very popular so popular with old like veteran brewers, but also with with the new members in the club who had never brewed anything at all because of the simplicity of these beverages. Yep. So that was totally fun to see. And so. also there was someone there that was gluten-free, so they could have mm-hmm. all three of the beverages. I made a strawberry sema, a hibiscus um, sangria short mead, and the third, oh, was a Nelson Sovin dry hop cider, mm-hmm. which is one of our favorite beverages at the moment. So right now I've gotten fermentation. I've got... Five one-gallon batches of just plain cider to hop, a pineapple cider, because I had Ace's pineapple cider a couple weeks ago at a cider fest, and I thought it was really good. It was way too sweet for my taste. I much prefer a drier cider, but 
I, wa- I really want to have a pineapple, a dry pineapple cider. Just straight on pineapple, hand. no spices. So not like tapache. Yeah. So this one I just did towards tapache. Right. Yeah. I kind of. I know. I thought about putting maybe a white pepper. I think that would work really well in that. And maybe I'll do that at at condi- you know when I bottle it or something. Um, but I'm gonna try the straight up pineapple. I'm gonna. I need to. You know, this is a test batch, so I need to figure out how much pineapple juice. <laughs> To this go in there anyway. Is, this is going to be very exciting. We have a friend named Flint who works at Rockaway, and we're going to have him on, on the show soon. But he, we tasted some of his prison wine oh, recently, yeah, which right. is freaking awesome. <laughs> like 23 packets of, of ketchup, uh, you know, the dull pineapple cans, you know, stuff that you can get at the commissary. It right is an right. actual prison wine recipe yeah. from... Um, I think a New Mexican federal <laughs> penitentiary. <laughs> and I looked online. You could actually find similar recipes online. But yeah, it was like canned fruit, a bunch of oranges, gummy bears, because you can buy gummy bears in the commissary. Oh, yeah. Oh, bread. Yeah. Hike of the sugar um, content with the gummy bears, man. Yeah, and then pack, ke- ketchup packets. It was drinkable. <laughs> yeah, it was better than that. Yeah, it was really Lots interesting. Of are drinkable. So that's maybe something to, to put on the uh, back burner for us to you know try our own prison wine. Then I made a pineapple, orange, guava, green tea, uh, sugar-based beverage, a hopped blackberry short mead. I'm not sure what I'm going to hop that with yet. Um, and today I made a mint melange short mead. So the Trader Joe's Mint Melange Tea, which is a blend of a couple mints, and I think it has lemongrass too. But anyway, I think I haven't I haven't done a straight up mint short mead yet. So um, I do a mint uh, boozy kombucha that is really nice. I was wasn't sure about that, but it was really nice. Then two gallons batches. I have a jasmine green tea going, a Memories of Mekon short mead, which is coconut lemongrass. Um, want something else? Green tea that I also get at Trader Joe's, and a rhubarb blueberry soda. So they have rhubarb at the green market right now. And then I have made three gallons of strawberry SEMA today as well. So I need to get the carbon dioxide uh, meters out and make sure that yes. we're, we're still safe. So this is crazy. You're, you're brewing so all I have these. 16 gallons right now in 16 our 16 gallons of, of very obscure things. And life is cyclical sometimes. How did you get into <laughs> brewing, Mary Izette? Let's see. Well, <clears throat> once upon a time, mm-hmm. when I lived, when I first moved to Brooklyn, which was 2005, I lived in Manhattan for a couple years, and I moved to Brooklyn, kind of like North Park Slopeish area, and I would go to. I was into beer already at the time, craft beer, so I would go visit a store called Beercraft, and um, I was buying beer and just kind of like trying new things at the time. I hadn't started brewing, but everybody kept. Well, so I kept bugging. <laughs> Several of the employees that worked there, and um, and, they, and one in particular, Ben Granger, said, "Why don't you brew?" And he was not the first person to ask that, but I think that was probably like the final straw. And I started brewing in February two thousand six. Ladies and gentlemen, Mister Benjamin Granger. <laughs> ben Granger, <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome Thanks, to the Men about it, man. Uh, you have had an awesome ride too, man. Oh so, yeah, totally. So totally. you know, uh, look, just going back before Mary met you, we were just talking before before we started here that that you you were doing kombuchas and and all sorts of. But we hung out the other day. There, one of your friends named Timmy. Your first oh, yeah, ferment. Yeah. What was your first fermentation? Well, our, our first uh, <laughs> our first fermentation was actually in, in Timmy's closet, and I, it's it's debatable if we were tweens or teens yet. <laughs> um, we had taken because we uh, we grew up in in apple country and there's just there's orchards everywhere so you could easily you know on your bicycle right? apple country being upsta- uh, upstate New York okay. uh, about an hour north of Syracuse a little okay. town called Mexico New York 
that, makes sense. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm dead serious about that. <laughs> and uh, you, so you could you could just. I could have great prison wine there. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> thank, you, thank you very much. Um, but you could easily just you could just ride down the road past any farm stand and pick up a gallon of cider. So we would periodically take a gallon of cider. We and this is before uh, uh, the laws were passed for for pasteurization, so it came teeming with bugs, you know. Mm-hmm. So we'd take and we didn't know what we were doing. We read about it in a book, and probably in reference to prison. <laughs> uh, but we would take and we'd take a balloon and we'd throw it over the top of the jug and throw it in the back of Timmy's closet, and we would watch <laughs> that balloon intently, and it would inflate. And then it would deflate. What would happen is it would, you know, it would ferment. And during the fermentation process, because the wild yeast sits in there, uh, it would kick off a bunch of CO2 and the balloon would fill up. And that back pressure from the balloon would actually force the CO2 back into saturation in the liquid. So we were making, you know, carbonated cider as like, you know, 13, you know, year old boys. It was, uh, <laughs> it was an acquired taste. I will say yeah. that. Right. Yeah. When I did that in high school, I, I spit in it uh, to kind of get it, get it going. Yeah, you said that yeah. the other day. That's <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, yeah, thank know, you very much. Don't do that at home. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, uh, I, mean, it was, I mean, it's a pretty novel way to add some... Uh, the so. 10 second rule, right? It happened within 10 seconds. It should be fine. I'm not sure that applies to no? spit. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Well, but, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so that was the beginning to, in, yeah. in, the, in the tweens, and, and then... And then uh, did you do more fermentate, fermenting well, after that? Was it, what yeah. was your journey up until till telling Mary to homebrew? Which I've got to thank you for. I've got to thank you for because that's ultimately why we know each other <laughs> and why I'm so that's happy true, and, yeah. in love and in this blissful room here today. So, yeah. so thank well, you, Ben Granger. Well, you're welcome. Thanks. You make well, my life taste we, better. Um, my, my family, especially like my folks, my dad would make sauerkraut in the garage. And that was like a, a, a thing. And I think... Um, my interest in that, you know, because my my background is, is is food. I come from the restaurant industry. I was a I was a chef for many years, and so when I saw him doing that as like you know a, a young boy, even uh, again through my teens, uh, I was always kind of like, eh, it's really cool on a food level, but it stinks, you know. <laughs> it's to, you know when you're like a little kid, you don't get it, and then I. Went to college, and uh, most of my fermentation study in college was through a natty ice can. And then, <laughs> there are other uses for a natty yeah, ice can totally, too. Totally, yeah. That's very, other very college. true. Um, so, and then, and then uh, after uh, I left college, I went to work in the restaurant industry, and it just kind of slowly but surely happened. I mean, most of my fermentation started with with food-based fermentation, kimchi, sauerkraut, you know, things like that, pickles, and. Um, during a break at some point from the from uh, being a chef, uh, 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 I wound up in beer craft. Just kind of had a roommate in there who was working there, and uh, I was going to take six weeks off before I moved on to my next gig. And, and he was like, hey, we're, we have a part-time position open. And I was like, well, I like beer. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, my then my father-in-law um, said to me, he said, I said, I want to make beer. He said, okay, you take this can, mix it with that water, bring it to a boil, and add those herbs. And I was like, that's it? That's all you got for me? And he was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and so me and my, my roommate at the time, we did that. And it was, as I as I made a, j- a joke earlier about another brewer, but it's it's like catching a sickness. It's, like, <laughs> it's literally like a bug. Because all you do from that point on, from that first, that, like, that very first you know extract batch, you, every the next batch is 
what well, is an upgrade every single time. And then you turn around one day and there's, you know, uh, a, a one barrel brewery <laughs> in your backyard with conical fermenters and uh, you've figured out how, you know, you've got stir plates and it's just, you know, it kind of it kind of gets out of hand. Any, and at Beercraft, we did, you know, yeah, I, I did a lot of home brewing at Beercraft, um, talked to a lot of home brewers. And during the time, it was like, um, it just wasn't it wasn't anything else. I mean, there was Malted Barley Appreciation Society, but there was no homebrew shops. I mean, all of our all of our ingredients came from Northern Brewer, Moore Beer, mm-hmm. or, or the hydroponics that or crazy hydroponics store. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's that's hilarious. Yes. they're still going. They are. They are. They are. That's it's it's kind of yeah, I haven't been out there in a while either. I I mean, I live in Queens, so I should check it out. Um, but yeah, so it was like when you. When you decided to make a batch of beer, it was like a week in the making. You were like, on Sunday you decided to make it. On Monday you placed orders. You hoped by Thursday they arrived. It's you know there was yep. just a, a whole different beast. And then about I guess I don't know five or six years ago, it just just ratcheted it up. Now there's homebrew shops. There's multiple you know groups, and there's yeah. like lots and lots of really cool like fermented stuff. And at at Beercraft, you know we. Yeah, I, I did a lot of you know uh, home brewing, but you know we did we made our own you know uh, lactically fermented pickles, and we would take and I made we had our own sauerkraut. We had a batch of sauerkraut going every three days. We had a culture um, that we'd taken from the first batch. We made our own sauerkraut, I guess, for about eight years, and we cultured you know the, the first batch came out so well that we just kept squeezing liquid out of it. Wow. We we repitched that culture for all eight years we never lost that culture so it just kind of it got to the point where we would go from like from cabbage and garlic and salt and pepper to sauerkraut in three days that's insane it was so so fast and because it was so fast and we get very sour culture it was really crunchy so it was a completely different animal and we did kimchi do you remember what you did for that very first one for the very first sauerkraut, mm-hmm. yeah, because I didn't even have a, I didn't even have like a crock for it. Mm-hmm. So I took the cabbage, took the heads of cabbage, red onion, cabbage, garlic, salt, black pepper, and we took the cabbage and I cut it up into into quarters. And uh, I took a um, a Jeroboam of Saint Fouillon that had <laughs> been drank. And wrapped it in plastic wrap and mashed the cabbage as hard as I could for like an hour and a half, just up with the salt and that kind of thing. It got mm-hmm. all juicy, and then I was like, "All right, we just let's just put this over here and not talk about it." <laughs> and that's and that's what we did. We put it in the corner and didn't talk about it, and it it went and it went and it went. It took about I say that first batch took about I think maybe fourteen or fifteen days. Okay, and then the next batch was quicker, and then we got to a point where. It just, Three days, yeah. It just, Three days, just crying. like cranking, and we would pitch that. We would pitch that culture and other stuff too. You know, if we made a batch of pickles, I drop that culture in there. I had my buddy Stretch, who is really into kimchi. You know, when we were, we would make various batches of kimchi. You know, uh, just straight daikon. You know, which is spring like a spring kimchi, and then just you know classic kimchi. Uh, early on, I would pitch that culture in just to like rifle up a little bit of fermentation. And he would get all bent out of shape about it. He'd be like, "Nope, not the same stuff, man. You got to keep that stuff out of there." So we we did we did some fun stuff. We even um, one of the years ago, Joe Tracy, who who worked for me over there, was now yeah. uh, now um, uh, uh, working the cellar at at Other Half, um, and a great brewer. 
great home brewer, yeah. great brewer, really, really great guy. He, um, I was like, let's make, you know, let's make a sour beer. Let's make a Berliner Weiss. Let's do it traditionally. And we, we brewed up a, I, I can't even remember what we brewed. It was a long, long time ago. I can't remember what we brewed, but after the first run, on the second run, we took the vegetable fermenter and filled it with crushed grain and mashed in at like 90 degrees and put a cheesecloth over it and stuck it in the corner. <laughs> and we're like, all right, hope for the best. Yeah. You know, and, and we got to do, you know, we got to do a lot of fun stuff like that. One of the, one of, like, one of my very, Favorite, and I still have a few bo- few bottles at home. I should have brought some, but Stretchy and I uh, wanted to make a hot sauce. So uh, I was going for vacation, and uh, I said to Stretch, you know, get some serranos and get a couple of bird chilies and get some jalapenos. We want to make this thing approachable, and we want to make it affordable. And we've never done this before, so I don't want to drop, you know, I don't want to uh, drop a grand into hot peppers. So uh, I said. I'll be back on this date. So I roll into the shop on X date, and there's 20 pounds of habaneros. There's a handful of, like, scotch bonnets. There's bird chilies. There's serranos. There's, like, more peppers than I know what to do with. And I said, this is a little ridiculous. He said, well, they're here now. What are you going to do? So so that's what we did. We took the peppers, and uh, we didn't chop them by hand. We put them through the, through the robo-coup, just kind of pulsed them up mm-hmm. with a little bit of salt. Threw them in a vegetable fermenter, and with that one, I didn't do it by taste. We monitored the pH, and about two weeks time, the pH dropped within a, into an acceptable range. What was your? What is your? I considered acceptable now. range. Yeah. I can't remember now. Uh, it, it must be right around three or sub three, because I guess we, we can look that up on the break. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a long time ago now. So, yeah. But so it it dropped within range. We took some live vinegar that we had laying around. And uh, blended it back with the peppers, and we took a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, all the while monitoring pH. And earlier, one of my one of the guys who was working at the shop, guy Josh Knowlton, uh, who's now the head brewer, one of the head brewers at Adirondack, yep. uh, had bid up to uh, the Hudson Valley uh, uh, Distillery that did was doing whiskey at the time, and picked up a whole bunch of small barrels. So we had nice. all a bunch of these small yeah. barrels laying around. So Stretchy and I said, well, let's put this hot sauce in this barrel. So we put the hot sauce in the barrel. It stayed in the barrel for three and a half years. <laughs> yes. Best part about that barrel is like one of those things where it was in the shop. And, no, no, you know, we had a lot of science experiments in that shop. A lot. <laughs> uh, that was one of them. And it just got moved around. Every couple of days, we'd move it upstairs, downstairs, put it in the dining room. we put it in the front room. we put it, you know, we would just move it so that it would stay wet. That's all. We just didn't want it to leak, you know? Right. So it stayed there for three years. We tested it every once in a while. It progressed nicely. And then after that, we, uh, we, we bottled it. And it's, it's got a pretty big bourbon flavor to it. I still have bottles of it. And the bottles are probably two years old now at this point. The best part about that sauce is when we transfer that from that little nine-gallon barrel into, you know, basically a, a, a container, a holding container to, to bottle, it cleared out the shop. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't get near it. You couldn't even get in the front door. I mean, people started coughing, looking at me. I, I stretch was coughing. It was, uh, it, was um, it was amazing. Between the, the the tears and the coughing, it was pretty incredible. So, yeah, we did some we did some weird stuff there with with uh, with fermented stuffs. And on that note, we're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back. Ferment about it.
1996, L Knife and Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Welcome back to Fomen About It and Heritage Radio Network. Org. We are here in the studio with Benjamin Granger. Ben Granger, we we both we both did some Charlie work around town. <laughs> uh, a lot of things have brought us to, these, to, to, to this area. But uh, when we left off before break, we're still talking about beer craft. That was quite a run, and you've done a lot of awesome things there, including uh, there was a there was a club there also, a fermentation oh, club. Yeah, yeah. What was yeah. the club? Uh, the club was called uh, Brooklyn Rot, and it was. Um, It was interesting. We we put the club together with, like as loosely as possible because the point was like you just wrote you just were to show up with like stuff that you made that was some form of controlled spoilage, whether it be a cheese, uh, kombucha, kefir, uh, like you know, uh, uh, or uh, yeah, uh, or whatever that you had, you know, and you were just brought enough and you tasted it and traded it and did all sorts of. You know weird stuff, and we got a lot of cool, a lot of really, really cool stuff that came through there. Weird like uh, hot pepper sauerkrauts, and uh, and which is actually not that weird compared to some of the cheeses that came through there. But <laughs> yeah, breads. Yeah, breads. Because that's, that's I went a few times. I think I wasn't living in that neighborhood exactly anymore, but I made amazaki the first meeting I went to, which is like a basically a rice porridge. Oh you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Fermented rice pouring. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's where I met Robbie Crafton, who is yeah. now what's his title at Greenpoint? Well, he's a brewery manager at Greenpoint Beer Works, and uh, then the Jesse, Jesse Ferguson, Ferguson as well. Yeah, Jesse Ferguson, <laughs> the, the, the I guess the head brewer at at, at uh, other head at other right half now, currently, he's the head yeah. production brewer at other and and the the man behind Boat Beer. Yep. Yeah, man behind Boat Beer of Carton of Carton Brewery fame. Yeah, man, that's like one of the most crushable beers in the uh, in the Northeast. Yeah. And at, at that time, you, was, you were talking about how. You, Craziness was accepted because our, everything was fun, but now everybody's being crazy and doing things. These, those guys are some examples of some people who are doing it pro- professionally. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Stuff. And, uh, but now the standard is different for, I mean, there's so many homebrew clubs, there's so many different stores. Also, so Beercraft at the time was, was really, really unique and one of its kind for the city, where now there are, there, there are more specialty bottle stores that you know the Tons, challenge yeah. is different totally than, but they really were a, they were a, really well, we cool. were we were at the time i think you know we were more about uh just like the culture in general you know mm-hmm. yeah we had cheeses and meats and and you could we made we made beer and we served beer and there was you know beer on t- we had all these things but also we were just about we we're just about the whole culture of what it meant to be you know what it meant to make stuff or grow stuff on your own or be a part of like a community that was interested in these things. Cause again, that, you know, the community was very small yeah. at that, at that time. Well, that was, 
I mean, when I started going to beer craft in 2005, I think, um, that was the only place where you could go, like, you, if you wanted to buy bottles to bring home and drink. The only place where you could actually go and, you know, there were people that knew what they were talking about oh, yeah, and could yeah, give totally. you recommendations. The other kind of spots for craft beer were places, these weird anomaly places that are good for buying beer if you know what you're doing, but otherwise... Totally, totally. Like, we could, you know, we always had an answer, and... and and everybody that was working there was 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 interested. We tried to bring people mm-hmm. in who were interested, you know, <laughs> so that when you you know when if you didn't know and you picked up because this is a long time ago and you picked up a bottle of Cantillon, you know, somebody said, "Hey, hey, hey, that's sour, right?" Because yeah. you know, for a while there, we they would know. you know we had a whole door of Cantillon and and about twenty percent of them boomeranged. People would bring them back and be like, "Hey, this beer has gone bad." So. <laughs> And be like, no. like we, we, we failed because we didn't we didn't catch you before you walked yeah. out the door. But you know, um, it's just yeah, it's totally like a, a different time. Yeah. Talking about culture and the culture that surrounds this kind of industry is you know if you're into these kind of beers or if you're into making all this stuff, living in such a big city, you don't have to make all this kind of stuff. It takes a certain kind of person that wants to dissect things, take it apart, and put it back together. And you are the epitome of that to me. Like you, you take things apart and you put it back together. And a, a, an example of doing that and understanding things you built a counter pressure bottle filter oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or a filler yeah yeah well the first one you was at beer craft That's right. yeah yeah we did the first yeah. one and actually the first like 10 were at beer craft i mean right now every time i built a build one well i shouldn't say every time uh, you're building a lot now yeah like, i'm building a lot now we're we're, we're basically at, I'm, I'm at i'm at a like a final product stage you know yeah. I, I did all the i did all the r&d at at beer craft and some of the first Counter pressure bottle fillers were a little questionable. There's no question about it. They did they did their job, but you know, um, they let's, let's talk about for so there might be some like beginner homebrewers that are listening oh, or right. people that don't keg. So what does what does that mean a counter pressure? All right, so a counter pressure is it important? It's yeah. well, it's it's important. So carbonation is like oftentimes it's it's the most forgotten about ingredient in beer. You know, it really uh, determines. Uh, per- your perception of dryness and can change your texture and flavor of your of your beer uh, greatly. So now that you know brewing and brewing culture has grown to a point that people are like really really aware of that, and especially you know uh, professional brewers are aware of that. Um, it's very important or a good idea, anyways, to bottle at, you know any of your uh, beer that you're bottling off of a keg, not bottle condition, but bottling off a keg via counter pressure. And what it basically does is when you transfer from the keg to the bottle, the bottle is pressurized so that as it fills, there's no oxygen in the bottle, and the CO2, your desired level of CO2 that you put in there on purpose, stays in saturation. That way, when, you know, if you're at, I don't know, a brewery and you get a counter-pressure bottle fill on a growler, that way, when you open it at home, uh, it's exactly as the brewer intended you to consume it. Which was the whole reason why I did it in the first place. It, the whole concept was, I want you to take this home and drink it how the brewer wants you to drink it, with the, the correct levels of CO2. Because a beer changes drastically when you remove 30 to 40% of its gas and saturation. And now brewers are very, very adamant about levels. Gene from Tired Hands, uh, his IPAs, he wants at 2.3 uh, volumes. Uh, Sam from other half wants his IPAs at two point seven. Yeah. You know, like the in which in, in in you know in the grand scheme of things, this just sound like numbers, but it's it's 
it's substantially different and two different theories and two different ideas, two different philosophies behind the beer. So, yeah, counter pressure is kind of important. And part of the thing is, is, is that some people who rate beers will not oh, yeah. always get their beer in optimal condition. So a lot of times if you're rating a beer, you know, and it, either the tap's not clean or it's from a growler that wasn't, that yeah. wasn't, you know, I filled mean, properly. Uh, yeah, or has been old. So these are all things that are very important. Absolutely. You know, and also I, just for, like, drink sheer drinking pleasure. Yeah, well, sheer drinking pleasure, number one. Yeah, absolutely. But from the brewer's perspective, yeah. to between the brewer and the retailer, it's, it, it's what makes it – it is the most – the sexiest part to a brewer is that – it's he. I'm care. I'm guaranteeing that brewer that that person is going to go home and drink that beer as they intended. And one of the worst things that can happen to a brewer, the absolute worst, is somebody picks up their beer from wherever. They get home. It's flat. The tap's dirty. The growler was dirty, and the review ref- reflects that. Yep. You know, yeah. it, it, yeah. you know the. When the reviewer says, "Oh, I, you know, smelled like acetic acid, and you know, uh, it was flat," and the brewer is sitting there being like, "No, the QC says that left the brewery perfectly clean and mm-hmm. at two point five volumes, which is the beer that I sent out there." But for whatever reason, you know, it, it's 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 important. It's important as the consumer because it means you're going to get the best thing that you can get. It's important as uh, uh, the producer because it means that your quality control goes all the way to the house. When a brewer, when when a brewery makes beer, uh, I think a lot of the market really doesn't uh, doesn't because it, it's hard to engage with this unless you've been on the production side of anything. Mm. Right. Is that when it leaves the brewery, it's out of the brewer's hands, and they put you know that the brewer puts themselves into that liquid, into that beer. Absolutely. So. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a hairy thing. Sometimes even when, um, uh, like Oxbow and other half did a collaboration, you know, and the Oxbow guys are when when the release happened, they're all the way up in name, you know, and, and they're interested. They're how to come out, what's it look like, right. you know, how's it taste, how's it doing, you know, and it's it's that's that's like important stuff because that's their beer too. So yeah. I, I mean, just kind of making a point that like it's important to brewery to you know to to the brewer that it be uh, be consumed at its best quality you know and cuz i know there is at least one brewery in the city that does not allow does not provide growlers sure sure because they can't you know because of that exactly once that Absolutely. beer leaves who knows what happens to it but for the other breweries there are how many counterfill well we do um I, I did the counter pressure installation at other half. Um, Kelso has a brand new counter pressure installation. Will be open this weekend. Yeah, which will be open Friday, this weekend. Threes has um, one as well, right? Uh, yeah, threes. Threes was uh, a collaborative uh, design. Um, uh, Greg and uh, their whole draft system was a collaborative z- design. Which, if anybody out there is really super into like bizarro technical, <laughs> <It's> insane. <laughs> insane draft systems, hit them up. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, he's like uh, they'll use my filler head and uh, a different uh, type of uh, of coupler. But yeah, so there are there are breweries. Even Peak Skills got a counter pressure filler designed by AC Beverage. Um, I think Big Alice uses uh, a Pegasus Craft Tap. They do, you know. Yeah. But it's like no matter who you use. It's important that you do it. It's just important right. that you do it because you you want to be represented as best as uh, that you can, you know. And if if you're doing all this work to get it to the tap, 
and no work to do, to get it from the tap to the home, then you know it, you're kind of just shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, this is a small part of 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 a lot of what the Granger way is though too. <laughs> yeah, you you're you're kind of you're getting do, all over different yeah, parts of a brewery. You know, it's funny. We Chris and I we talked before about you know like kind of finding your way in the industry one day you turn around and you say you know you say oh, i want to be a part of the beer industry and where do i fit and i always loved like the fermenting part i was always i always loved it but i always knew that i would never be a commercial brewer i always said i always thought to myself this like, before or after you bought the one barrel brew house <laughs> <laughs> well played sir um, <laughs> before joe tracy was supposed to be our head okay. brewer the entire time I just I don't have I just don't have the patience to do like the same thing over and over again, um, but uh, yeah I do a bunch of stuff I tank installations uh, consults with breweries on mm-hmm. like how to set up you know uh, how to kind of marry this industrial process with the commercial process of of service which is kind of it's nice over the you know over the last ten ten or so years I, I just kind of had enough experiences on both sides you where like, all angles yeah where where you know it, it, i just i have an eye you know i have ideas about the way things happen and how they should happen you know and sometimes i'm wrong sometimes it's I'm a not changing, wrong. it's a changing market yeah but, it's but, a really cha- you know but producing stuff doesn't change but it's also no. a very competitive and, and, and standard of quality market. absolutely i mean craft brewing so i think new craft brewer new craft breweries that are opening are pe- breweries and plannings that are breweries and planning um, now have to think about many different things yeah. in order to be competitive, in order to better, you know, be- offer a great experience. Sure, totally. And one of those is like counter pressure growler yeah. fills and proper tap systems and yeah, proper draft systems and counter pressure filling. But even even is even simplifying, you know, uh, business plans. Being in being in a kind of retail service bar industry just kind of helping some of these people who are very industrial oriented and and you know production based background helping them see like what they're headed into and what maybe will be you know an an easier fix for what they have going because in new york city we pay a lot of money for a square foot so when you put a brewery in the best tool that you have is that margin on your mm-hmm. pine. It really it, it it makes it it actually makes it so you can survive. You know, yeah, because it's hard to be. It's really hard to be a production based business in this town. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So yeah, I do a bunch of stuff. <laughs> it's the Granger way, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like we just touched the surface of the Granger way, but we got to call it. It's, uh, it's the end of our show. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks us, for having man. me. It was a great I feel time. Blessed to know you, and thank you for introducing. me me to marry through fermentation. <laughs> I'm sure you're thankful. <laughs> for men about for it. Men about it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. So you got yourself a